Let us pray. So, Father, even now in this season of Advent, we ask that you would cause us to ponder and reflect and wonder at the coming of your Son, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, into the world to redeem us. And, Lord, that we would also reflect upon his promise to return. So draw us to yourself, and may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here this morning. I hope you have enjoyed the past two Sundays with missionary speakers as much as I have, both Reverend Jessica Hughes, one of our own, who's heading out today. We'll be praying for her a little bit later in the service. And also last Sunday, the Reverend Dana Kraft. Um, Just, I was so encouraged and I'm so blessed to hear about God's work from Africa to Latin America and all around the world and the wonderful things that the Lord is doing. Amen. Um, we're going to take a break from Ephesians. I, I mentioned that. And then a week or two ago, I said I'd probably preach on Ephesians once more during Advent. But I really, to consider things, felt like we should push finish up the Ephesians series until January. And I want to do a three-sermon, I'll call it mini-series, beginning today for Advent entitled, Mary, a Model of Joyful Surrender. And focusing on the first chapter of Luke's gospel, particularly verses 39 through 55, which we heard the first portion of today in our gospel reading. So much we can learn from the Virgin Mary's example, especially in events connected with Christmas and the narratives in scripture that surround Christmas. And the account of these events surrounding Jesus' birth in Luke as well as in Matthew's gospel are very familiar to us and frankly to many people in the culture at large who may not be churched or even identify as Christian. Even the Peanuts Charlie Brown Christmas special aired for kids each year since way back when I was a little kid reads the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, which is the wonderful thing about that particular kid's Christmas special because it actually reads the account from Luke's gospel of the birth of Christ. And the gospel is proclaimed even in a Peanuts children's special. But one of the potential problems with these passages being so familiar is that it can become easy for us to miss the significance of what they are saying and to miss the significance of some of the specific details in these texts. And that can certainly be the case as we look at Mary's example as well. In Luke chapter 1, backing up a little bit, verses 26 through 38, we read how a young Jewish peasant girl in an out-of-the-way rural village was told that she was going to supernaturally be with child and that this child would be the Messiah, the Son of God, come into the world. Today's gospel reading serves as a bridge, the connecting point, if you will, between verses 5 through 25 of Luke 1, which describes the event surrounding the announcement for telling of the birth of John the Baptist with the text I just referenced. Verses 26 through 38, which I just referenced, give an account of the angel's announcement to Mary. In verse 36 of Luke chapter 1, we read that Mary's older relative Elizabeth who was believed to be incapable of conceiving a child, is expecting. Now in verses 39 through 40, we find Mary hurrying off with a sense of urgency to visit her relative Elizabeth. 
we need to realize how unusual this was. Remember, Mary was probably about 13 or 14 years old at the time. She lived in Nazareth, a region to the far north in Palestine. Elizabeth and her husband, Zachariah, who was a priest, lived in a community just to the south of Jerusalem. That's probably a distance of 90 to 100 miles, a walking journey of three or four days. Secondly, Mary's journey is very unusual in a cultural sense as well. The passage doesn't give us specifics, but it's not wrong to make the assumption that Mary made this journey alone. As a young unmarried girl, Mary wouldn't have normally left her home without accompaniment or even to browse in her own hometown, let alone to travel a three or four day journey. Young Jewish girls at the time basically lived in seclusion in their homes until they moved to live with their husband at the conclusion of the time of betrothal. All of this is to say Mary traveling to meet and stay with Elizabeth was a big deal. It was quite extraordinary. And the thing is, the extraordinary nature of this visit did not stop with her arrival at Elizabeth's home. Everything, as we will see today, everything about this visit was extraordinary. And that's what I want us to look to get at together in our time today. And my, I have two main points. The first is from verse 30, 41, excuse me, and it's entitled Unmistakable Significance. And then we'll also look at verses 42 through 45 of Luke chapter 1 for our second point, which is unexpected blessings. So let's take a moment to look at this unmistakable significance. Take a moment now to think of things from Elizabeth's perspective, from the relative of Mary. What has already transpired is of incredible significance. Her husband has been visited by an angel while serving as a priest at the altar of incense in the temple. And because he questioned the message of the angel, he has not been able to speak. And at this point, he still isn't able to speak. That's the dream of many wives, probably. But, but on a serious note, Elizabeth, who had never been able to have a child, now well along in years and past childbearing age, Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And on top of all of this, her young relative Mary shows up at her door. Something of unmistakable and incredible significance is happening. God is at work. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's greeting, two things happen, happen that add to the sense of significance surrounding these events. Look at verse 41 with me. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see here is that the baby, John the Baptist in utero, leaped in Elizabeth's womb. What does scripture tell us concerning the ministry of John the Baptist? Well, in Luke 1.17, we read, and he will go before him, referring to before Jesus, before the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Luke 176 says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. John 1, verses 6 through 8, tell us this. 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And then continuing in the first chapter of John's gospel, verses 22 through 23. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The unborn John the Baptist supernaturally recognizes the significance of the child that Mary is carrying in her womb. And this, this event marks the beginning of the prophetic ministry of John the Baptist even before he was born. Think about that. What an incredible thought. Even an unborn baby is used prophetically by God. I think for us on a practical level, that says several things to us. First of all, it speaks of the value of the unborn. If God can use a baby in utero to prophesy, to point to something, you don't need any, there is no stronger pro-life argument, brothers and sisters, than that about the sacredness of human life. And it isn't just with John the Baptist. Jeremiah the prophet was called before birth by God as well. And the second thing it teaches us is if God can use an unborn baby, think about children as well. Don't ever doubt that God can and does use children in his work, in his ministry. To speak the truth of the Lord, to pray, to witness, to attest to the truth of the gospel. And don't ever doubt that God can use people who may have mental or developmental disabilities as well. I shared first service, and this is off script, but I think it's significant. It came to mind at my home Assemblies of God church, oh, 30 years ago, large church on a Sunday morning. I was walking out of church, and we had a, a man in his 40s at the church named Michael who had some developmental challenges. Michael loves the Lord. And there was a man sitting in the, what is their, the church's equivalent of our atrium, and he was just going on and on. There's a large crowd of people, you know, milling about and visiting. And the man was going on and on complaining about something. I mean, like to someone else. And just, it was very obvious he was unhappy. And God bless him. Michael, in his Michael way, walked up behind the man. The man's facing away from him. Takes his finger and goes, boop, boop, boop. Right on Michael's shoulder. And the man swirls around, looks at him. And Michael goes, have you talked to him about that? And put his finger down and walked over. He's like, go, Michael. <laughs> But that was a profound moment, and God was using Michael to speak to that man. The second thing we see is that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might say, what? I thought that only happened after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And the answer to that is no. Now track carefully with me. Prior to the completion of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection and ascension, which opened the way... For what happened on the day of Pentecost, prior to all of that, in the Old Testament, so that's up through John the Baptist, specific individuals were filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the Old Testament. And I know that you will hear well-intentioned people sometimes say that the Holy Spirit only worked externally on people 
in the Old Testament, there was in no occasion an internal presence or work of the Spirit prior to the resurrection of Jesus. But that's not what the Old Testament scriptures teach us. Listen to just a few examples, and there are many others. Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And he spoke to me. The Spirit entered into me. Did you hear that? Entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Daniel 5.11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding, wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the musicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. And then in Micah chapter 3, verse 8, speaking of the prophet Micah, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear me. The spirit of the Lord did fill specific individuals, even in the Old Testament, to accomplish God's purposes. What we see is that those who were filled, regardless of what God empowered them to accomplish, the sign that they were filled was that they prophesied. They declared the word, they declared the truth of the Lord to the people of God in the power of the Spirit. And what we see on Pentecost is in the Old Testament, there were a few specific individuals that this happened with. But beginning on the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, on the church, what we see is an expansion of what happened in those folks who we will call prototypes, prophetic prototypes in the Old Testament. And what was limited to a few of God's people in the Old Testament is now made available as a possibility to all of God's people from the day of Pentecost forward all the way through the church age. But the purpose and fullness and empowerment of the Spirit is the same, whether it be in those specific individuals in the Old Testament or through every Spirit-filled believer from the day of Pentecost forward. The purpose is to declare the word of the Lord in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth, we see being used very specifically in this way when the Spirit of God filled her. Look at the end of verse 41 and the beginning of verse 42. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. She prophesied. She declared the word of the Lord. There's unmistakable significance to what is happening here in these events. And what does this say to us? God has... God does, and God will use people who are filled with his spirit to faithfully, boldly, and lovingly declare God's truth and power in the anointing of his spirit in our day. Just like he did in that day, just like he did on the day of Pentecost, just as he has done down through the entire church age until Christ returns. Secondly, unexpected blessings. She really spoke of God's blessing, in other words, his favor, his mark of approval. And these things, again, were unexpected. Elizabeth, her husband, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, all of them were swept up in what was all at once exciting and wonderful, yet at the same time, 
scary, overwhelming, and most of all, an unexpected series of events. And there are three statements regarding blessings, unexpected blessings that Elizabeth makes as the Holy Spirit leads her here, beginning in verse 42. The first blessing is this. It is that Mary is blessed. Luke 1, 42, Luke 1 verse 42, the first portion of that verse. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. Now remember, Mary's just arrived. There's no indication yet that Mary has told or described to Elizabeth anything about what has happened. And they didn't have texting. They didn't have email. They didn't have snail mail. Every indication is that Elizabeth was given her understanding by the Holy Spirit of God himself supernaturally. But why is Mary blessed? Is she exceptionally virtuous or special? Obviously, she was a very godly woman upon whom God's favor had rested. But Mary is blessed most of all because of the child that she will bear. Because of the child that she will bear. And while Mary's role was unique in all of time and history, we can learn from this blessing. Because like Mary, when God calls you or me to do something, even when it is hard or an incredibly difficult calling, we need to understand that that calling is God's blessing. When God calls us to do something, it is truly a blessing. And we need to be grateful and give thanks. And we need to rejoice that God's grace has come to us in a special way. We need to know like Mary, that when God calls us to do something, no matter how unexpected, no matter how challenging it may appear to be, his grace is sufficient to fulfill that call. His power, his strength is made perfect in weakness to fulfill that calling. Late one evening, the professor sat at his desk working on the next day's lectures. He shuffled through the papers and mail placed there by his housekeeper. He began to throw them in the wastebasket when one magazine, not even addressed to him but delivered to his office by mistake, caught his attention. It fell open to an article entitled, The Needs of the Congo Mission. The professor began to read it idly, but then he was consumed by these words. The need is great here. We have no one to work the northern province of Gabon in the central Congo. And it is my prayer as I write this article that God will lay his hand on one, one on whom already the master's eyes have been cast, that he or she shall be called to this place to help us. The professor closed the magazine and wrote in his diary, my search is over, and he gave himself to the Congo. That professor's name was Albert Schweitzer, if any of you know anything about him, who was both a theology professor and medical missionary to the Congo for most of his life throughout most of the 20th century. He became one of the great figures in the 20th century in humanitarian work, nearly unmatched in human history. Was this by chance? No. It was by God's providence and God's call. God will never call any of us to do something without supernaturally equipping us to accomplish his will and his purposes. God's vision will never lack God's 
provision. The second blessing, the second blessing speaks of Jesus himself, Luke 42b, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Mary was bearing a special child, the eternal son of God come in the flesh, the one whose kingdom will never end. Elizabeth recognizes that she herself is blessed by her role in all of this. And notice here, Elizabeth's focus isn't on Mary. It is on the child. And she, Elizabeth, marvels that the Messiah, the promised one, visits her and that her relative Mary is bearing this child. Brothers and sisters, in the day-to-day and all the busyness of life and in reading the Christmas stories over and over, may we never lose sight of the uniqueness of who Jesus is. That he is the one, the one, the Messiah, the eternal son of God, the savior come into the world to save us and redeem us from our sin and to give us eternal life. That was true for Elizabeth. That's true for us. That is true for all of humanity. And we should, those who know Christ, should be humbled and grateful like Elizabeth, that Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, has indeed come to us. The third and final blessing, Elizabeth declares in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary is blessed because she believed God. Luke one thirty eight, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Joyful surrender. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Not, Lord, give me another sign. Not, Lord, I'm going to put a fleece out and see what you do. And maybe if you do that, then I'll believe you. Not, God, prove it to me but rather blessing that comes by trust and submission and obedience. When we realize, brothers and sisters, that God's blessing can only become a full reality for Mary and for us when we trust him, and then in the midst of trust and in the midst of our faith, we see him bring to pass those promises. God's blessing only comes to full reality as we trust him, as we step out in obedience to him. And then we see the fruit of trusting him. We know what he has done. We know what he's doing in the present. And we know because of his faithfulness and that his word is sure and that his promises are yes and amen in Christ. We know what he will continue to do and that he will accomplish his will. Blessing, brothers and sisters, is found in fully trusting God, not just once, but day by day, time after time, again and again. These events we've begun to reflect on today are events of unmistakable significance. And I want to encourage us to reflect upon that during this season of Advent. To reflect upon the significance that God, out of his great love for us, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. For our salvation, 
that he was raised from the grave and ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And he has empowered us. He has sent his Holy Spirit. And he is more than willing and able to fill and empower every single one of us to accomplish his plan and his purposes. Unmistakable significance. And then secondly, let us reflect on the reality that blessing, God's blessing is found in trust. Trusting Christ for forgiveness and eternal life. Trusting God's call on our lives, God's call on our families, God's call on the life of this church. Trusting God with all that we are, knowing that his provision will never be lacking when it is his vision. And I want to encourage just all as I conclude this morning, during the season of Advent, to do a trust check. That's what I'll call it, a trust check. How are we doing in truly trusting ourselves, in trusting ourselves to God? How are we doing with trusting God with all that we are? Knowing that he will accomplish his will and his work and his good pleasure. So would you pause for me, with me for a moment and bow your heads and may we do this trust check as we reflect on the unmistakable significance of what we celebrate and ponder during this holy season. Father, we are so grateful and thankful to you for sending your son Jesus, the eternal son of God, into the world for our redemption. And that as he ascended back to your right hand in glorious victory, he did not leave us comfortless, but he has sent the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God in fullness and power to equip us just like those saints of old to do your work. Father, give us grace to more fully trust you in every area of our lives or to trust you and your calling on our lives, knowing that, Lord, you are faithful and that we don't do anything that's of you out of the weakness of the flesh or human ingenuity, but we do it in the anointing and the power of your spirit, the power and resources of all of heaven. So, Lord, help us even now to more fully trust you and show us those areas of our lives that need to be more fully yielded to you as individuals, as families, and as a church community. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.